0: And welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. Hi, I'm Ingrid Bertschel-Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Each week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, and today, the racy village gossip and the even racier pillow talk continue. Before we begin, I have a bit of a correction to make. As Fred and Janie plan their reunion for the Easter of 1882, they've mentioned a possible trip to Warncliffe. I said in a couple of podcasts back that I thought this meant they were visiting the newly opened Glenhill Park at Warncliffe side, completely forgetting that the most significant landmark in the area was actually the Warncliffe Crags. I'm, I'm not sure quite how I forgot this. On reflection, I think it was most likely that this was the probable attraction they were planning to visit and not the glen. I think I got a bit carried away with the idea of a family connection through the ages, to be honest. Anyway, the Warncliffe Crags are a dramatic escarpment of gritstone situated approximately halfway between Warncliffe side and Deepcar as you head north out of Sheffield. The rock had been quarried since Roman times to produce quern stones for milling and there are several thousand quernstones still lying around, littering the landscape. The name Horncliff may well have been evolved from querncliffe. The views of the Upper Don Valley from the escarpment are stunning and unsurprisingly have attracted visitors for centuries. In Janie and Fred's time, bank holidays would see thousands of people making the trek and the local paper records over 3,000 visitors for Warncliffe Crags for the Easter of 1882. Whether Janie and Fred were among them remains to be seen, as they are having an interesting time trying to corral all of Fred's friends into one Easter Monday outing, so that they will still have time to see each other when Fred comes back to Sheffield, as Janie mentions in her next letter. Also, please be aware that discussions of sex continue through the correspondence but, as usual, we have to decode the Victorian-style pillow talk. Hunsworth, March the 27th, 1882 My own darling husband, I received your nice long letter this morning. It was a treat, love. I hardly expected one. I am sorry you had to deny yourself of your walk, but I know it would have been almost as great a pleasure to write to me, darling. I always feel it is a pleasure to write to you. I wish we could have had one of our usual walks. I have begun going to school in the mornings instead of the afternoon. Reverend Mowitt asked me last Sunday if I thought I could. I think I can manage it with a little effort if they get up a little earlier so that I can make the beds. I don't like to leave them till afternoon. J. Revlet asked me to go down to their house on Sunday afternoon, so I went, and we had a stroll down our own favourite lane, Grange Lane. We were going to go round and up by our house, but the wind stopped us. It was so rough. I went back and had tea with them, and then we came up after church. Teresa, Lizzie, Jay, and I had a walk down as far as the bridge, and then I came home. So that is now one more Sunday gone. Only one more before I see you, my darling. The fall down the cellar steps wasn't serious, love. I only grazed my elbow. It is about all right now. I think I shall go down to see your mother tonight, just after tea to see how she is after her visit to Hansworth, and to pack you the dinner service to take back. I wish you could have been with us at the confirmation. I wore your favourite dress, love, the cream-coloured one. I am glad you gave the Paris offer up, my darling, and I think you have done nothing to regret. You have got a good master now, and you might have got a very different one over there, love, and had a great deal to put up with. Besides, you do not know much about the firm, do you, love? I feel quite glad you have not gone for your mother's sake, darling, and a good so more for myself. I could not spare my husband any further away from me than he is now, but I should try it if I thought it was for your good, love, though it would be so hard to part with you. We will keep the meat somewhere else when you come at Easter, as I should not like to injure your delicate organisation, love. I have not heard from Betty Frith lately. The last I got was in summer, and I answered it just after Christmas, so perhaps she is making me wait as long as I kept her. The wedding must have been ours I dreamt about. I did not finish the other part last night. It will be finished when I wake up on the happy wedding night, and it will be very small as you say. I think it would be a very good arrangement to get John Mie's to go to Warmcliffe with us. How are they going to manage the eatables? Will you get to know, love? You had better tell Ted that we will go. It will be like one of our old Whit Monday excursions. Mother has quite made up her mind to the inevitable. She likes you now, though she did hold out a long time. She did get the forks cheap. I am glad they are to your taste. They make everything taste better. Steel forks are very nasty, especially for fish. My love, I expect I shall survive the shock at Easter. I don't feel very sorry that it is not wasting away. I expect you will extinguish it and do justice to me as you say. I don't think you will be disappointed about it fitting tight. Tight fit is the best. I am sorry your trousers were fitting so tight, love, but I couldn't help you being so far away. You won't have so many buttons off now as you used to when it got very troublesome. It could not be better, love. We do suit each other so well. I am sorry you were shocked. Still, I don't think it is so very naughty to talk of such things between us, darling. Of course, we will not mention it at Love, only if your trousers do happen to feel very tight. I should not like your landlady, Mrs Gordon, to stitch too many buttons on. It would not do to give her too much trouble. So I will see if I can't give you more room. In fact, take something down that is always poking against my legs. I hope you will not feel more shocked this time. We have promised to be faithful, and we shall, my darling, till death us do part. I love you more every day. Who saw Johnny Mortar and Lucy Craven up Sherland Lane? It was an undignified position. You think the sensation would not be very exquisite that she could experience. I am glad you are quite agreeable to have the clock, love. I think you will be suited with it. You can bring the money at Easter for your wife, love. It will do till then. I do not anticipate spending as much as £30 in furnishing, love, nor do I now to only furnish front room, kitchen and bedroom. I shall have to give over. It is tea time. I love you more than ever, my darling, and shall always remain your loving, true, faithful wife, Janie. Little detail about steel cutlery spoiling the taste of food puzzled me somewhat. It resulted in me disappearing down a research hole, which happens a lot while trying to tell Fred and Janie's story. And I was surprised to learn that the invention of stainless steel and the cutlery made from it didn't actually come into being until after 1913. It was developed by Sheffield metallurgist Harry Brearley, working in the Brown Firth Research Laboratories. Brearley originally developed the new steel to enable the internal surfaces of gun barrels to withstand higher temperatures. But perhaps because of his being a son of Sheffield and understanding the significance of the cutlery industry, Brearley went on to search for more applications for his new rustless steel, as it was called then. Carbon steel knives were prone to unhygienic rusting, and as Janey mentioned, reacted with certain foods. Brearley tested his new steel with food acids like vinegar and lemon juice, and encouraged by the promising results, was able to find new applications for steel in the mass production of food-related products such as saucepans and cutlery. By delightful coincidence, he ended up becoming the director of Brown Bailey Steelworks in 1925. But obviously, this is all in the future for Janie and Fred. Back in 1882, the best you can hope for is for your future mother-in-law getting a bargain on some silver-plated forks. 21 Church Street, Middlesbrough, March the 28th, 1882. Only 11 days, love. My own darling wife, I received your nice long letter this morning, love. I wish I could give you a kiss for writing so early, but I will save it for you until Easter, and then I will kiss you with compound interest, love. I'm glad to hear that you have commenced going to school in the morning, love. I hope your people will not throw any obstacles in your way, darling. I feel rather sorry that I am not at home now, love, for then we could have a walk every Sunday afternoon without you having to miss school for it. I wish I could have been with you last Sunday afternoon when you were going down Grange Lane, my darling. Did you think of me at all, love? I am pleased to hear that your fall was not serious and that you are going down to our house, my darling. I feel so glad that you do not neglect our people, love. I should think my mother quite looks upon you as her daughter for I suppose you will be, as my wife, you know. I should have liked to have seen you with my favourite dress on, my darling. I expect to be worn out before I see it again. With respect to the Paris business love, I should not have had any master there. I should have been in charge. The firm is a good one, I might say very good, and is, I should think, as wealthy as any in the country. Whereas this one, as you know, is only just commencing and will have, I expect, its ups and downs, as most firms have at first. But I could not go further away from you, love. I am sadly too far away as it is, my darling. I wish I was nearer, and then I could come to see you oftener. Though I feel sure, my little wifey, that you would have been wishing to go even there with me, would you, darling? I am glad to hear that you will keep the meat out of the club room, love, if I sleep there. I was dreaming about it last night. I dreamed that I went to bed in the club room, and that you came to bed to me, and of course we participated in connubial felicity, and then went to sleep. When your mother looked in and saw us, but before she had time to say anything, I awoke, and for a moment I felt sure you were with me, but it was not so, unfortunately. I have not written to John Mies yet about Easter Monday, but I will do so, and also to Ted, and get to know for you about the eatables, love. We must not forget that, dear, it is most necessary. I am glad to hear that your mother likes me at last, my darling. I hope I shall never do anything to forfeit her good opinion, though I know that sons-in-laws are proverbial brutes to the dear daughters. I am pleased to hear that you expect to survive the shock of seeing and feeling what I have got, and that you agree with me that a tight fit is best. It is bound to be a tight fit, my darling, "'for it will never have been open since I left, has it, love? "'I have never had one button set on the front of my trousers "'since I have been here. "'I am never that way, except when in bed, "'and then I wish that you were there too, "'and when I am writing to you about it. "'I am feeling so now, love. "'I am glad to hear that you think it isn't so very naughty "'to mention such things between us, you know, darling. "'We are husband and wife, "'and of course, a wife should know all about her husband.' and a husband all about his wife. If my trousers do happen to feel tight, which I have no doubt will be the case, I shall be most happy to accept your kind offer, darling, that you will, to save Mrs Gordon trouble, take something down, something in, I suppose you mean, love, that is always, you say, poking against your legs. You don't dislike it about your legs, do you, wifey? You would not like me to be without it, love, would you? For you know, it is a very useful thing about a house, and I don't suppose you would care to marry me if I had not got one, would you? I'm not a bit shocked, my darling. I was only jesting. We will always, my darling wife, be faithful and love each other more and more every day. Ted did not say who saw Johnny Mortar and Lucy Craven at their devotions. I should think they would never disturb a pious couple on their knees. I don't suppose she would experience anything like the sensation that you do, love. You know, there is a great difference between one three and a half inches long and one eight inches long and two and a half inches thick. My darling little wife, you ought to be quite proud of your husband who places all that he has at your service and so much too. But if I go on, I shall shock you really and perhaps offend you. And that is what I never intend to do, love. Because we must be always loving, my darling, and never offend one another. Isn't that your idea of our married life, my darling? How much do you really think you could furnish the rooms you mentioned for, love? I saw a very pretty bedroom suite the other day. It was a very light coral. I don't know whether you like that colour. And the dressing table had drawers down the front and a looking glass fastened to the back. It looked very nice. And the man told me that he could furnish the bedroom throughout including the carpet and bedstead, for six pounds. But I shall be able to talk to you about that at Easter, love, if they will only let us be together for a little while. I don't see how we shall manage about the furniture, love. We cannot buy all we want at Sheffield, and I shouldn't like to choose the things myself, and still I should not like to bring you here without a home ready for you, my darling, but we shall perhaps be able to settle that question also when we have talked it over. I intended writing today so that you would get it tomorrow morning, but we are so busy that I could not spare the time, and perhaps I do not like to write letters at the works, because then I could not very well stop the others from doing the same, and if letter writing is allowed to be done, it soon runs away with the time. I expect I shall be even busier now, as I commence tomorrow morning going down to the works with the letters, and that will take an hour away. I don't half like the job, but I mustn't complain of trifles. I shall push Alvy into the correspondence job as soon as I can and then it will give me more time for the other work. I am afraid I have not saved the 20 pounds I mentioned love for I had not thought I should have to get a new suit but accepting that I have done so I hope you will not be vexed and grumble at me for you must be always loving to your loving true and faithful husband Fred who adores you. There are times when I'm doing this podcast where I end up finding out way more information than I really want to know about my great-great-grandparents. And there we go. Fred um, seems to think quite a lot of himself. But it's brilliant to see them having this level of intimacy and expression and trust as well, even if my cheeks are flaming right now. I was recently interviewed on BBC Radio Berkshire, and the host asked me the question of whether or not I should be sharing these kinds of details. And I have to say that the experience I have of a family culture passed down to me is one of openness and tolerance and being prepared to talk about the difficult subjects, being prepared to share the important things, either in a family situation or a one-to-one situation. So there's something recognisable here as well that I shouldn't be surprised, given the frankness that I've benefited from growing up, you know, existed right back here. But I, I think it's a really precious valuable look into a world we don't ever often get to see. Anyway, I think I'm not quite so embarrassed now, so here's Jamie's next letter. Cemetery Road, Sheffield, March the 29th, 1882. My own darling husband, I am at our Williams today. I received your nice long letter this morning. I should be quite willing to receive the kisses with compound interest at Easter love. I am glad you think I have done well in commencing to go to school in the mornings. We would have our Sunday afternoons and walk if you were here, darling. But never mind, we will have some at Middlesbrough, won't we? I did think of you when going down Grange Lane last Sunday. I am always thinking about you, love. I went down to your house last Monday. I met your mother going up to Dr. Pritchard's for some medicine. She has not been very well. Louisa was out. She had gone to see your sister Lucy. I went down there. We stopped until about eight. We did not get the things packed. I think your mother does look upon me as her daughter, and of course I shall be when I am your wife, love. I came up with Polly Corbett from Darnall. I don't think your favourite dress will be worn out before you see it again, love. It is very good wearing material. Paris would have been too far away, darling, but I would have gone there with you or anywhere with my husband. I feel quite confident that you will never do anything to forfeit anybody's good opinion, though the sons are proverbial brutes to the dear daughters. I should have written yesterday, darling, but Mother went to Darnall, and I had to be barmaid and watch Emma like a cat watching a mouse, so could not squeeze one in anyway. I intended writing when Mother came home, but Annie Lavrak had asked me to go and sit with her, so I did not leave her until nearly eleven and thought it was too late then and she wishes to be remembered very kindly to you. She had the impudence to tell me that she thought you were one of the nicest fellows she had ever spoken to, which, of course, I was very much enraged at. I do love you, my darling. It is not long to our meeting now, is it, husband? I will give you another for Saturday and Sunday. I remain your true and faithful wife, Janie. 21 Church Street Middlesbrough March the 30th 1882 My own darling wife I thought I would commence your letter for Saturday tonight because I expect tomorrow will be a busy day and I should not be able to write much and I know you like a nice long letter darling for Saturday and I do not like to disappoint you I am afraid that this will not be a very lively one because I feel rather sad tonight I think it must be on account of the weather it was a beautiful morning, the sun being quite hot. After dinner, we had a very heavy hailstorm, which turned to rain, and it has been raining ever since. I have not the same comfort I had last night. Then I read all your dear letters, love, through all that I have received from you. I like to read them, darling. They do me good. I have written to John Miers today, asking him if he could manage to go with us to Warncliffe, and if not, whether he could come to Darnall on Easter Sunday and if not, whether I should go over there on the Tuesday afternoon. Do you think you could manage to go with me? If you do not, I think I should stay all night and get on to the main line to catch the Sheffield train to Middlesbrough. I wish I could be with you every minute. Even then the time will be too short, wifey. Oh, my darling, I am longing to see your dear sweet face again and to kiss you, which I think would be bliss indeed. But I must not complain, for the time is getting short now. It only wants nine days, darling, but that contains a Sunday. I wish we were married, love, and then I should be happy, but I never feel low or downhearted long when you are with me, my little comforter and consoler. You are everything to me, my dear little wife. I feel that I love you more and more every day, but I must not get despondent, or else I shall be making you so, and I know you have sufficient to bear with your own real troubles without bearing my imaginary ones, darling so I will not reprise, but look forward to our meeting at Easter and to our happy wedded life, my darling wife. We played the final tie for the cup on Saturday, and I think I shall play as I am all right now, love. I wish you were here to watch the match, darling. There are lots of ladies coming to see the matches here every Saturday. I think this place will look very nice in summer. The houses are much cleaner looking than those in Sheffield, and in a good many of the streets are planted trees "'which are just coming into leaf. "'What a dear old time we had, darling, in the spring. "'I wish it had come. "'I think courting days are the happiest in anyone's life. "'And I am sure that ours, darling, were much happier than most. "'Don't you think so, little wifey? "'I shall receive a letter from you tomorrow, I think, love. "'So we'll write a few more lines then. "'I am beginning to feel so impatient, "'and could almost come over on Saturday. "'I feel as though I could not wait till Easter.' you will receive your first communion next Sunday, darling. I do wish I could receive it with you. I am so glad you were confirmed, darling, because it makes me surer that you will be a real helpmeet for me, and help me to do my duty, as a true wife should. Oh, I do love you so much, darling. I wish I could give you just one kiss, and then to bed. So good night, little wifey. That is a husbandly kiss. Continued. Friday, March the 31st, 1882. I received your welcome letter this morning, darling, for which I thank you. I thought I should get one this morning, love, for you never keep me waiting long, wifey. We will have walks, love, when I get you here. I am glad to hear that you went to our house, love. I wish I could have taken you home. Remember me very kindly to Annie Laverack. I am rather surprised that she considered me nice. I am sure I have never tried to be particularly nice to her. Of course... I could have perhaps been polite, but that is only gentlemanly. Please don't get enraged, darling. I don't mind what people think about me, so that you still love me, and have faith in me, wifey. Then I can do my duty. Only eight days to a meeting, love. I remain your loving, true and faithful husband, Fred. Hansworth, March the 31st, 1882 My own darling husband... I have now great pleasure in tormenting you with a little more today. I got home from Sheffield by the 9.15 train last night. Polly and I went to tea with an old friend of hers. And then we went up to see Ginny Reckless at the institution. Mr Blessman still takes her home on Saturday evenings. They are not going to give them even a day's holiday this Easter. Isn't it a shame? Excuse the blots. I am writing and waiting. It is rather difficult... My darling, I will not be vexed or grumble at you a bit, even though you have not saved the £20 you thought of doing. You were obliged to get the new suit, and I know you would have done it if it had been possible. I will always be loving to you, love my husband. Only nine days now. I do wish it was over. I do want to see you. I have been putting new covers on the chairs in the room to make them look fresh for you at Easter, love. We must not bear two weights on any more of our chairs. We have damaged one severely. In fact, I don't think it will get over it. Father is going to try and mend it. Father has not been so well this last week, and Morris has been very poorly. He has had a sore throat and a bad cough and cold. Mother told me to scarcely notice Mr Walker today. She blames him all up now. I don't know, so I am afraid I did not show any difference towards him shook hands as I generally do if I see him, so displeased them, do you think I ought not to have done? I don't see that he has offended me in any way. It is the biggest blessing for him that he is not going to have her. He would have been miserable for life. I don't think I answered your question about that Friday. I will tell you at Easter if I think on, about him wanting to do something. Oh love, I shall be so pleased to see you. I love you more than ever, and shall always be your loving, true and faithful wife. Janey. That last bit of family politics is very revealing. Sometimes I find myself straining through Janie's letters in an effort to make out the hazy characters of her parents, Maria and James, who, of course, are my three times great-grandparents. Maria has clearly taken against Mr Walker for rejecting Emma, I'm starting to see Maria as someone who expects to be able to interfere wherever she likes. Of course, she's going to be loyal to her oldest daughter. But to issue an edict downgrading social contact to the rest of the family adds to the portrait of her I'm painting in my mind. Actually, that leads me on nicely to say that after the success of the last question and answer episode, I'm hoping to do another Q&A in the next couple of weeks. And I'd be really interested to hear what your theories are about the whole Emma and Mr. Walker situation. So please let me know what you think, and you can ask me any other questions on my Instagram. That's my Love Letter Time Machine, or one word, on Instagram, or you can email them to Time at gmail.com. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. Next time, the letters come thick and fast in the run-up to Janie and Fred's Easter reunion, and we find out how Fred did in the Cleveland Challenge Cup rematch. In the meantime, it would really help me out if you could show the podcast some support by clicking on the ratings, leaving a review, or sharing it with someone who you think might enjoy it. And as I said, if you'd like to write to me or ask me any questions, you can at mylovelettertimemachine at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.